Thank you, Joe. I kind of almost feel like having you stand for a benediction after that, uh, that reading. There's something beautiful and pure about God's Word being read. Uh, amen? Are you tracking with the reading this morning? Thank you, Joe, for, for doing that reading. Those of you that have not been to my home, uh, all over our walls, there are uh, photos, big color, big color photos of uh, our family uh, in different places, beautiful places on our planet, mostly in the foothills and in the Sierra. And I realized this week that I've been putting things uh, on the walls uh, for, for a long time, different things, uh, going all the way back to my junior high and high school uh, days, uh, early high school, later junior high. I can remember uh, getting scissors and cutting out um, sports magazines and, and putting up uh, pictures of, of uh, athletes, of, of, of idols. And then uh, occasionally would go to uh, Kmart, I think, or, or maybe the mall, where they have these uh, posters where you flip through the posters. You've been there. You've done that. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, one of the posters I had. Uh, I don't know if it was this exact picture, but it was a Magic Johnson. And I lived in Ohio, okay? Grew up in Ohio mostly. But Magic, this uh, six-foot-nine guard, uh, back-to-back championships, just always smiling. Just, uh, just Even today, the guy's just, just always smiling. Do we have any Lakers fans uh, here uh, today? We have a couple Lakers fans. All right, I'm not really a Lakers fan anymore, but I had uh, Magic Johnson uh, on my wall. He, uh, he was, if you will, uh, one of uh, my heroes. I had other posters on my walls. Uh, one of them... Uh, was, uh, this is news to my wife, Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> this is a confession. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I've told you that. Okay. I forgot that I told her that. Yeah, I had Farrah Fawcett. I uh, was one of those posters uh, on my walls. And the, uh, obviously, this is a problem. Uh, this is a confession. Uh, what was going on is I was allowing the world to influence uh, who my heroes are instead of the word influencing who my heroes are. I'm flipping through the posters in the store instead of flipping through uh, Hebrews 11 and seeing what heroes of the faith um, are, are, are like. Um, I, I love the, the end here of Hebrews 11. Uh, it's terrible, and yet, I, and yet I love it. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. 
And we have in Hebrews chapter 11 a list of, uh, of sinners but who were great because of their faith and what they were able to endure because they knew this world was not their home. This, this description, uh, this, this sentence, uh, they were sawed in two in verse 37. Jewish tradition and Christian tradition tells us this is likely referring to Isaiah, the prophet, whose love and devotion to the covenant-keeping God of Israel was so prominent, was so real, that he's willing to be sawed in two for his faith. There's quite a difference between these kinds of heroes and Magic Johnson, or especially Farrah Fawcett. Uh, We're talking about a huge spectrum here. And I want to suggest, as we are continuing our journey through the book of Philippians, that what we're going to look at today is, if you will, the heroes of the faith section in Philippians. And you're, many of you, you've been around for a while, you're probably going, I would if I were in your shoes. I don't remember a Heroes of the Faith uh, section in Philippians. But the paragraphs that we're going to look at in just a moment, I want to suggest are, they, 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 and we, we have a Timothy and we have Epaphroditus before us as models, as heroes, as examples of what it looks like, what our heroes should look like. If we're going to put someone on our walls. It should be someone like Timothy. It should be someone like Epaphroditus. And why? Why would we put Timothy? Why would we put Epaphroditus on the wall? Why would they be our heroes? That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Let's bow our heads once again and pray before we get into our passage. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for the Word of God. We thank You for its clarity. We thank You for its power. We thank You for the heroes on these pages of Scripture. I ask that You would speak through the Word now in the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask that You would do above and beyond anything that I could prepare or plan for. Uh, Everyone is coming from different places here today, God. We have different expectations. Some of us are hungry from the, for the Word. Some of us probably are just looking forward to this service being over and everywhere in between. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would be at work in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, and uh, two paragraphs here we're going to look at, and two individuals, two heroes. Um, and we're asking the question, uh, why should Timothy Why should Epaphroditus go on our walls? Let's look at Philippians 2. Let me read 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, about you Philippians. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Verse 21. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his, fa- as, 
as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. We'll pause there. We'll come to the next paragraph in a few moments. Um, Let me say a few things here. Now, first off, it's very easy with this section of Philippians to think we're just dealing with logistics here. We're dealing with couriers. They sent the Bible, these letters, uh, with people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul is just simply informing, while he's in prison in Rome, uh, the Philippians about the comings and goings of the mail. The logistics would be an easy, this is, this is if, you, if you read Philippians in, in one sitting, I think these couple paragraphs would be paragraphs that are, that are not going to get our attention a lot. They are logistical. We have to remind ourselves when we're reading a logistical passage like this, or a, um, a um, what's it called, genealogy. When we're reading genealogies, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is here to tell us something about Him and about us. So this isn't just about logistics. A couple other uh, comments here. Uh, Notice I have in my Bible underlined in verse 19, in the Lord Jesus, and in verse 24, in the Lord. Uh, Because Paul isn't sure what is going on here. And this phrase here, in the Lord Jesus in 19, about sending Timothy to you soon, he's not certain of this. He's acknowledging God's sovereignty and providence. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. In other words, paraphrasing it, should God will it, I am going to be, I am desiring to send Timothy to you soon. And then down in verse 24, he says, I am confident in the Lord, should God will it, that I myself will come soon. But pop back up to verse 17, chapter 2 and verse 17. There, Paul writes, just a few sentences earlier, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, he's referring here that he might be executed, that he might die. He may not make it out of prison, but he's leaning to the, to the fact that he probably is going to make it out, out of prison. And so we see this phrase, this, this uh, submission to God's providence and acknowledgement of God's providence in Paul making his plans. But I want to suggest that Timothy here in this paragraph is the focus, and he is the focus as a model, as a template, as a hero. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 5. We read just a few sentences here. Paul there, this, this is a part we might linger if we're reading Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So Paul is saying in in 2.5 that you, Philippians, you uh, cornerstoners, can I use that word? Cornerstoners? You cornerstoners, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And that attitude is one of servanthood, of humility. Now, what we have, beginning in verse 19, is a picture or a model of someone other than Paul, other than Jesus, who is living out this servanthood, this humility, this considering others better than myself, and doing it joyfully. And Timothy's doing it. 
So why uh, should Timothy uh, go uh, on your wall? Forgot about this earlier. The end of uh, our passage, we're told to honor men like him, honor men like, uh, like Timothy, and honor uh, men uh, like Epaphroditus. I skipped over that. Who's on your wall? Here's the question that we're asking. Why should Timothy go on your wall? And the first answer uh, that I have is his denial of self is for the sake of Christ, for others, and the kingdom. And this is out of verses 20 and 21. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Timothy goes on our wall. Timothy is a model of servanthood. Paul says in 20, I have no one else like him. Now, he's not also including Epaphroditus in this no one else. I think what he's referring to in verse 20, I have no one else like him in Rome. If you remember earlier in Philippians, there's people preaching the gospel with wrong motives. There's people who are out to get Paul. Uh, You don't have the picture that the church in Rome is really supporting him very well. And so he has no one like him in Rome uh, who, who takes this genuine interest in your welfare, Philippians. I don't have anyone like that, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But not so with Timothy. Timothy is concerned about the interests of Christ Jesus and concerned with the interests of you, Philippians, and that's why I'm hoping to send him back to you. Timothy is a servant, and he's someone who, um, who is not selfish. Someone who's not selfish, and, and he's, he's an example for us here. He's someone that could go up on our wall. I want to talk for a moment about uh, the, the opposite, uh, or talk for a moment about selflessness and about denying ourselves and doing things. I mean, if we use our imaginations a little bit, uh, Timothy, we don't even have to use our imaginations very much. Paul's life was crazy. Timothy gave up all kinds of personal comforts and things to travel around for many, many years as a disciple, as a co-laborer with Paul. He's given this stuff up. And he's very concerned and he's known for being concerned about others. For the Philippians, he is a servant. So I want to talk a little bit about self-denial. Because I think some of us, and I've been here, we can fall into the trap that we kind of do self-denial or we do sacrifices for sacrifice's sake. What do I mean? Um, we do things like we give up uh, chocolate. We give up TV. Uh, we give up food. Anybody ever done anything like that? You, you give up something, right? Nobody's raising their hand yet. That's okay. We, we, you don't know what I, where I'm going. No, no, you, we give up things, or, or we have a mentality like, God wants me to sacrifice, and so therefore, he must want me to not be happy or to be somewhat uh, unhappy or miserable, and so I'm going to forego this thing uh, and, and, and give it up. That, that is not a picture of what we have uh, in Timothy, and this is not a picture of what self-denial or giving up things, which Timothy has given up a lot of things, but he hasn't given them up in that way or in that uh, spirit. So this, this, uh, this guy has helped me out a lot on this, uh, this theologian. Look at, look at what he writes here about self-denial. 
He says, denial of self does not mean that I am to deny myself things. It means to deny myself, not to deny things to myself. And then he quotes Jesus here, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial is self-centered. Denial of self is Christ-centered. Denial of self means death, nothing less. A cross is an instrument of death. He's referring to Luke 9 here. Obviously, the saying, Luke 9.23, does not mean that every Christian must suffer physical death. It does mean, however, and we speak carefully, that every disciple of Jesus must be ready to die. This is what cross-bearing means. A readiness to die with and for Christ. It means complete dedication to Christ. We should put Timothy on our walls because of his servanthood and his willingness to deny himself for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Philippians. You see, it's okay and it's right to give up chocolate or to give up food if it's leading us to a hunger for God or it's leading us to love others or to give up the comforts of wherever Timothy would have been living Instead of traveling all the world and and being in prison with Paul in Rome, he's denying himself all those things for the sake of spreading the gospel. Do you see the connection between denying ourselves? Uh, I think that is an important sentence. Self-denial is self-centered. Denial of self is is Christ-centered. Timothy is denying himself things in order to expand the gospel. So what he's giving up, he's actually getting something much better and such, so much richer. This is the kind of person that we would have on our wall if we're going to put posters up. Why should he go on our wall? The second reason, his long-term faithfulness to Christ and to his spiritual father. Let's, let's look uh, carefully at verse 22. Verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father... He has served with me in the work of the gospel. There's there's a really close relationship here between Paul and Timothy. He describes Timothy as his true child in the faith in 1 Timothy 1.2. As my son in 1 Timothy 1.8. As my beloved child in 2 Timothy uh, 1.2. There is a, a beautiful relationship that has has taken root here with with Paul being the father spiritually and Timothy being the son there is an ongoing a long-term relationship a long-term discipleship process that has been going on and and co-laboring between Paul and Timothy They're, they're an example of discipleship and of friendship and of long term this is a reason for him to go on our walls And I want us to ask ourselves uh, a couple questions here. I asked myself these questions this week. Because verse 22 brings to the forefront this idea of a a spiritual father or a spiritual mother and a spiritual son or a spiritual daughter. And I want each of us to ask ourselves, uh, to whom am I a spiritual mother? To whom am I uh, a spiritual father? I hope names are coming to your mind right now. This is how God wants us to work. 
He wants us to be, regardless really of where we are in our maturity, there's somebody that we can be a spiritual mother or father to. Some uh, months ago, uh, the uh, principal at my uh, younger two children's school, he, uh, he pulled me aside. I think it was in the pickup lane. I'm picking up kids or something. And he asked me if we could get together, if we could start getting together. He didn't use the language of, uh, of will you be my spiritual father? But in essence, it's kind of what he was saying. He's a man in, in, in leadership and is giving a lot of direction and an instruction all day. And he recognized, I, I need somebody to, to kind of speak into my life. I need someone to be accountable. And he sought that out, to my surprise, in me. And so I've been meeting with him. And so when I asked myself that question, to whom am I a spiritual father? Uh, Mr. Tebbs, as my kids know him is someone who recently the Lord has brought my way who I've been a spiritual father to. Um, in our own uh, congregation, uh, Keith Denniston back here. Keith, can you put your hand up? Everybody say hi to Keith back there. <laughs> Keith and I have been spending tons of time together over the recent weeks. Those of you that have been around here for a while, you know Keith was baptized not long ago. Keith came to know the Lord. And I've been like a spiritual father to Keith. And we've been driving around up to Grass Valley and as we spend time in the car, we've been talking about the Lord, and, and, and Keith has been growing. So again, I want to ask you, you know, who are you a spiritual father or mother to? I'm really saying this to all of, all of us if you are a Christian. This isn't just for gray heads. This is for all of us. There's someone that you can be a spiritual father or mother to. The other question is, uh, to whom am I a spiritual son? To whom am I a spiritual son? We see this example of Timothy and Paul's relationship. And all of us also need to, to have uh, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, people that speak into our lives. And that's one of the uh, great advantages uh, for us to be part of the uh, Evangelical Free Church is we kind of have a built-in spiritual father if you allow him to be. We have a district superintendent. I don't think he likes that title at all. But he is like a, a spiritual father to pastors. Neil, he's going to be preaching here in a couple months. Some of you uh, remember Neil. He's got the greyhound uh, dog. Remember when he brought, re anybody remember? Great Dane, what did I say, greyhound? Thank you. Feel free to correct me while I'm preaching <laughs> if, um, if, it's, uh, if it's helpful. Um, you guys remember Neil? Remember Neil? So Neil's going to be coming again. Neil, I haven't known Neil very long. Unlike Paul and Timothy, who have this long, multi-year, living together kind of connection. I, I don't pretend to say I have that with Neil. But I got together with Neil recently, and I'm able to share with him what's going on in my heart and, and praying for our church and, and getting wisdom for him and having him speak into my life. Neil's uh, a spiritual father, and I have, have others as well. So I, I hope you're going to, I hope this is one of the things you're going to hang on to today is, is you'll be able, if you haven't already been able to answer, to whom am I, am I a spiritual father or mother? And to whom am I a spiritual son or daughter? This is what heroes look like. This is the Heroes of the Faith chapter. We have Timothy in the first paragraph. Let's take a look at the second paragraph here, Epaphroditus. Why should Epaphroditus go on our wall? Verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, 
who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. I underline this phrase, honor men like him. In fact, that's kind of what has driven, the Lord's using to to drive my heart and to prepare this message today. Honor men like him. These are the kind of servants that we should honor. If we're going to put people up on our walls, these are the kind of men that we should put up on our walls. These are the kind of, if they were women, that we should put up on our walls. Servants. Of the Lord Jesus. So, so why should we put Epaphroditus on our, our wall? Uh, first answer is uh, his servanthood. Oops, servanthood. Verse 25. Let's look at verse 25 a little more carefully. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. And, and look at how he's described. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So he was the courier. He was the FedEx guy coming from Philippi. But he was uh, to Rome where Paul's in prison. But he was more than that. You sent him to take care of my needs. You can imagine a meeting in the church in Philippi. Uh, The church met in probably the, the largest home of whoever was in that congregation. And you can picture them in the living room. And they're, uh, they're meeting there, and Paul's in prison in Rome, and he needs our help. The, the Roman church is, is uh, not the greatest support for him. Church in Rome is weak. We need to send someone. And you can just imagine, everyone know, the guy we need to send is, is Epaphroditus. He's such a servant. He'll not only carry this letter, but he's going to stay and serve Paul. And he did that risking his own life. He's a risk taker. He's a servant. God is still in the business of taking selfish people like me and like you and transforming us into servants like Epaphroditus who says, hey, I'd be happy to go. Be happy to go. Take this news to Paul and to serve him. We don't know exactly what he did. We know part from chapter 4, we know that Part of what he did is he brought money to Paul. Paul's excited to see him. He brought, some, uh, brought an ATM card with some, some credit there so he could get some food and uh, you know, uh, get on uh, Amazon there and get it delivered to his, uh, his cell in Rome. But Epaphroditus was a servant. He was a brother. And we have many examples of, of servants in our church. Uh, these are the kinds of people we should look up to. Uh, the gathering in this last Wednesday, people who were preparing food and serving beforehand, advancing the kingdom of God, giving up whatever they could be doing, self-denial, if you will, but it's not self-denial for self-denial's sake, it's self-denial to advance the kingdom of God, doing lowly things, helping Paul, moving letters, working in the kitchen so that the gospel can be shared and people could be loved at the gathering in. Those are the kind of people I look up to. This is 
We shouldn't be flipping through posters for our heroes. We should be flipping through the pages of Scripture and then looking around us. Who is like that? I, I can't hardly talk about servanthood without a friend of mine from our previous congregation coming to mind. His name's Steve. A few of you here may know Steve. Steve is at the top of the list, probably, in my mind, of servanthood. So you, you guys know who I'm talking about. I'll tell you a couple things about Steve. Steve's the kind of guy where after a long memorial service, a good time and fellowship and conversations afterward, and you just want to leave the church. Anybody been there? I've been there a lot. Anybody been there? Or gathering in or whatever. I just want to leave. But somebody's got to stack chairs. Somebody's got to go around and turn the lights off and secure the building. And Steve was just that guy. And he didn't do it out of obligation or, or with bitterness he recognized that this is something that he could do and he could serve the Lord this way and he was always willing to do it and he was just, just an example to me. The kind of person, we're going to put someone on the wall, Steve. i never forget one night, probably the most memorable example to me of his servanthood. It's like 10 o'clock at night and I'm driving. I don't think I've told you guys this story. I'm driving by the church. There aren't very many residences at all near the church. 10 o'clock at night. And what do I hear? A weed eater at 10 p.m. The lights are on in the parking lot. Steve is out there weed eating at 10 o'clock at night. Who weed eats at 10 o'clock at night? A servant. A servant does. It needs to be done. And so he was doing it. Epaphroditus is a servant. Last thing I want to say uh, about Epaphroditus, uh, why he would go on our walls, if we're going to put posters up, his sensitivity and compassion for his church family. Look at verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. (laughs) That tells us a lot about Epaphroditus, verse 26. He's sick, nearly died, Paul tells us later. Don't know the details of that, but he's sick. He's taken this risk, but he is concerned and is longing and is distressed because the church in Philippi is distressed because he's sick. And he wants to relieve their distress over him being sick. He's stressed out, not about his sickness, but about their stressed outness about him being sick. This is a... This is not the picture of manhood that that our culture promotes. This is not the kind of heroes that that we think about. Someone who is sensitive. Someone who has compassion for people who are concerned about him. The good news is that God is in the business of taking people like you and me and Epaphroditus and Timothy who are selfish and giving us joy to deny ourselves things so that we can advance the kingdom so that we can love others, so that we can serve along, along folks doing gospel work. That's what he's calling us to today. Well, let's, uh, let's stand together as we prepare to sing. We are going to sing a song with these words in it. Let me read them to you. The words of the song, I see a generation, as the worship team comes, I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith, I see a generation replacing a generation of selfish people. I see a generation coming up 
rising up to take their place with selfless face, with selfless faith. Let's uh, sing together and ask God to do this in us.